0: I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Both of the lessons this morning are going to be taken from a, a segment of the post resurrection accounts of the life of Jesus. We understand that Jesus' life didn't end at the cross, uh, He went through the experience of death and then He was raised from the dead and so we see in the New Testament certain things written about the the post-resurrection period. The first lesson is going to be based upon a statement that Jesus made, more specifically a question that he asked, and the second lesson is going to be based upon a statement that was written by Luke about Jesus. So the first statement is a statement that Jesus made, and the second is a statement that, that Luke made about him. But, but to set the context, I, I want to read and make a couple of comments here in the 24th chapter of, of Luke's gospel. Just think about where the story is as far as the life of Jesus. At this point, he has died on the cross. He's been resurrected. There were those who, who traveled to the tomb and, and found the tomb empty. There were many who saw Jesus. There were two disciples on the road to Emmaus. We read about those disciples in this 24th chapter who were prevented from recognizing Jesus, that is, recognizing that this, this resurrected form, this body, belonged to Jesus. And there were probably some reasons for that, but then Jesus um, explained to them certain things about himself in, in the scriptures. And you'll notice in verse going back to verse 33 of Luke chapter 24, they got up that very hour and they returned to Jerusalem. So these are the two disciples who had been on the road to Emmaus, who saw Jesus. The eleven, they found gathered together, the eleven. That's the apostles, minus Judas. And those who were with them, so there were others gathered at that place, saying, this is what the two disciples said, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate, that is, the two disciples, their experiences on the road and how he, that is, Jesus, was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. And that's not a reference to the Lord's Supper. That's just sharing of a meal. It was at that point that their eyes were opened and then they recognized Jesus. They had been prohibited from doing that to that point. Verse 36 While they were telling these things, you've got to try to envision this in your mind. Here's the two disciples. Their hearts are burning with them. You remember that? They said, Were our hearts not burning with us, within us? As he was explaining the scriptures. So these guys are excited. And here they are, they're not the apostles. But here they are with the apostles and other disciples of Jesus. And all of a sudden, what an amazing thing! He himself stood in their midst. Just kind of makes the hair stand up on the, the back of your neck, doesn't it, if you have it? <laughs> he himself stood in their midst and he said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened. And they thought they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet. Now he was calling attention to the imprint of the nails in his hands and in his feet. They thought they were seeing a spirit. See my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see. That I have. When those two disciples on the road to Emmaus found the, the apostles and the others and said that the Lord has really risen. Now they were seeing that he had really risen. It wasn't a spirit, it was a body with with, with flesh and blood. They could see the imprint of the nails in his hands and in his feet. And when he had said this. He showed them his hands and his feet, and while they still could not believe it, I don't think this was um, a bad unbelief. You know, this is one of those I just can't believe this. You know, my my kids just bought me a Corvette for Christmas. There it is, but I can't believe it. They still not could not believe it because of their joy and amazement. It's hard to imagine the, the range of human emotion that these apostles were experiencing at this point in their lives. And then he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? It's almost like Jesus is just kind of playing a game of cat and mouse. You know, Here's my hands, here's my feet. Oh, by the way, just give me something to eat. Let's let's see what happens. If if I'm a spirit, whatever I eat, you're just gonna you're gonna be able to see through this body and see it as it as it goes down. But that didn't happen. So they gave him a piece of a broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it before them. He's he's wanting them to know what the the disciples on the road to Emmaus had said. I really have risen. I'm back. I'm back from the dead. We looked at a question that Jesus asked his disciples last week, that question being, where is your faith? Well, the question that he asked that I want us to think about this morning is the question in verse 38, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? And We have to remember that this was not an inaccurate description of what they were experiencing. This was a question that was raised by he who knew what was in their heart. They were troubled, and doubts were in their hearts. When we experience a situation in life that is not as we expected, when it seems that our world has been turned upside down, They expected an earthly kingdom. They expected an earthly Messiah. That didn't happen. Everything that had been in their minds, remember how they were arguing about who's going to be the greatest? Even up to the end, they were were still arguing about that. They were expecting this earthly kingdom. Their world had been turned upside down when Jesus died on the cross. When we experience, and we probably will never experience a situation similar to theirs, or at least of that magnitude, but we get close sometimes. And can you imagine Jesus standing beside you, looking at your situation, looking at your life, looking at your response, and asking those questions? Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? I believe if I can just scratch the surface of why they were at that place, then it'll help me. One of the things I see as I study the life of Jesus and I study the lives of the apostles and where they were at at this place as well as where they were at at other places, what I find is a lack of faith in the Word. Now, in John's gospel, and I make reference to this because I think there's more to this statement, lack of faith in the word than what you might initially think. In John's gospel, he presents at the very beginning that Jesus was the word and the word became flesh. So for them, they had in their presence the vehicle of thought sent by God to mankind to explain God. And even after three and a half years of that exposure, there was still this measure of doubt in their minds. There was this lack of faith in the Word. And it wasn't just in the person of Christ and and what they saw in Jesus, but it was the Word of God. Everything that had been written, everything that had been, had been revealed about this Christ became a reality. But they still didn't believe it. In Mark chapter 16, we, we've looked at this, this other parallel account. But I want you to notice beginning at verse 9, Mark chapter 16, and this is another post-resurrection account of Jesus' life. After he had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, she went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. Now what is she doing? This is important. She's giving eyewitness testimony. She's explaining what she had seen with her eyes. When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, They refuse to believe it. Well, what are they refusing to believe? Well, it is a woman. (laughs) No, they're refusing to believe eyewitness testimony of one of Jesus' disciples. One, yes, it's, it's Mary, but she had spent much time, probably as much time with Jesus as the apostles. And what she was speaking was not new revelation. It wasn't new information. When she told them that she had seen Jesus, she was simply telling them what Jesus had said would happen. And they still refused to believe it. After that, he appeared in a different form to two of them. Think. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus. While they were walking along on their way to the country... They went away and reported it to the others, but they did not believe them either. So they're not believing eyewitness testimony. They're not believing the witness of those who came to them and said everything that Jesus spoke, everything that was in the prophets, has become a reality. And they still don't believe. Afterward, verse 14, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table and he reproached them. Look at that. He reproached them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart. It's the hardness of heart that plays into a failure to believe because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. Now I said that's a significant point. Well, it's a significant point for this reason. What were they about to do? What had they been called to be? Eyewitnesses. They were going to go into all the world. They were going to give their testimony. So they're not believing the eyewitness testimony And yet they're going to be expected to go out and deliver eyewitness testimony. So we should not believe, should not be surprised then that that Jesus would rebuke them for this. Now in Luke chapter 18, let's go to that place and notice further support for this lack of faith in in the word. And this again is an account that, that we've looked at before. He took the twelve aside and he said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem. And all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. He's telling them everything that's in God's word is about to happen. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. So they had been told this. They knew what was going to happen. And yet their hearts were still troubled and their hearts were still filled with doubts. In Luke chapter 24, notice at verse 25. Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 25. Now, now keep in mind, this was after the institution of the Lord's Supper. This is the night of Jesus' betrayal. This isn't the first day of his public ministry. This is after seeing miracle after miracle after miracle, after hearing Jesus say over and over again that I'm going to die, I'm going to be put to death, you think I'm an earthly king? I'm not an earthly king. I've got to die. It's, it's God's will that this happen. And what are they doing? They're still arguing among themselves. They're still arguing among themselves who's going to be the greatest. And, and then we, we find here in, in Luke chapter 24 at verse 25 again... What Jesus said to those who were on the road to Emmaus, he said, O foolish men and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And again, that's not new revelation. It had been said over and over again, but they didn't believe the word. There was a lack of faith in the word that God had spoken to them. In verse 46 of this chapter, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. Again, that's not new information. He said, thus it was written. There's a record of this. This is not new. You've got to believe. Now, I point us to Romans chapter 4 because of the example of Abraham. And again, the reason we're troubled the reason doubts arise in our heart when our world is turned upside down, when things don't go as we expect, it's because we don't believe in God's promises. God promised there would be a Messiah. God promised. He said that he would suffer, that he would die, that he would be raised from the third day, and yet they're still struggling with this. Why do we struggle? It's because we don't have faith in the Word. But Abraham did. Abraham did. It is possible. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 18, in hope against hope, he believed so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He thought about it. How in the world (laughs) are me and that woman, I'm a hundred years old. How are we ever going to have a child? How can this be? But he didn't become weak in faith. You know, as he looked at his circumstances, he could have become weak in his faith. But his mind went back to the promise of God. His mind went back to the Word. With respect, verse 20, to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but he grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. The way you remove the doubt is you put your mind on the promises. You put your mind on God's word, that which he has revealed, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Therefore, it was also credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, that's you and me, as those who believe in him, look at it, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was re, raised because or in order to receive justification. It's lack of faith in the Word. Spent a lot more time on that point than I thought it would. <laughs> the second, I spent a lot more time on all of my points than I think that I will. <laughs> The second is excessive worldly concerns. I'm going to try to make this one go a little bit more quickly. Uh, All right, let's go back to Luke chapter 22. What, What is the excessive worldly concern of which I speak in their case? This is what I made mention of earlier, Luke chapter 22. Institutional Lord's Supper, Jesus is about to be betrayed. What are they talking about? there arose a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. What are they concerned about? They're concerned about who's going to be the greatest. Would you agree with me that that's a worldly concern? Jesus defined it as such. He said the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who have authority over them are called benefactors, but it is not this way with you. You've got to get your mind off the world. If you find your heart troubled, if you find in your heart doubts it's because your existence is here it's not there do you see that you wonder why that happens to you you wonder why that happens to me that's the reason it's because we're just obsessed with life we're obsessed with this world they were obsessed with an earthly kingdom and that's why they were troubled Things were not turning out as they expected. Things were not turning out as they wanted them to. In Matthew chapter 26, on the night that he was betrayed, we read in verse 51, one of those who were with Jesus, and we know this was Peter, reached and drew out his sword, and he struck the slave of the high priest, and he cut off his ear. No, as we've often said, he wasn't aiming for his ear. We're gonna win every war we fight by just cutting off the other soldiers' ears. No, he's aiming for something else. He missed. Well, Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. What was their concern? A world of kingdom? It was focused on earthly matters. That's why they couldn't believe. That's why their hearts were troubled. I love the statement of verse 53. Do you you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? One legion was 6,000 soldiers, right? 12 legions is 72,000. I put this in my calculator this morning. That, that calculation worked. But then I got to thinking about that one angel who slew 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night. So then, okay, there are 72,000 angels. I'm going to multiply that times 185,000 just to see how many Romans Jesus could have killed. Well, put that in your calculator, and it's going to give you one of those strange results. It's going to put something, 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 times something, something, e-something, something And that's that's above my pay level. (laughs) I'm sure there's some engineers somewhere who could figure out how big that is. But, you know, Jesus was in total control. Everything was happening, just as it had been planned. And then in verse 54, how then will the Scriptures be fulfilled, would say it must happen this way. It was the excessive worldly concern, again, that produced the lack of faith. Jesus said in John chapter 18, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. Why do you have trouble in your heart? You're just too uh, overly concerned with with the world. I know I'm not as cute cute as Reese, but I'm I'm here, okay? (laughs) And then finally, why are you troubled? It's fear. Let's cut to the chase. It's fear. When your world is turned upside down, when life doesn't turn out as you expect, and you become troubled, and doubt arises in your heart, it's because you're afraid. And again, it's lack of faith in the Word, it's excessive worldly concerns, and all of that plays into this stifling fear. When Jesus walked on the water, Matthew 14. He spoke to them as he was coming. They thought it was a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. I'm in control. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. Peter got out of the boat, he walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. Everything's going good. But seeing the wind, you see? You see what he's doing? <laughs> he's looking at what's around him. He's looking at earthly existence. He's looking at the storm. He's taken his eyes off of Jesus. Seeing the wind, he became frightened. He didn't get out of the boat because he was afraid, he got out of the boat because he had faith. But then he became troubled and doubt began to enter his heart because he was looking at the wind. He was looking at the storm. And he cried out and he said, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand. He took hold out and he said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? How many times could the Lord ask us that question? In the parable of the talents, Why did the one-talent man bury his talent? It's because he was afraid. Matthew 25, 25, I was afraid. I was afraid. And then Jesus said of him, he's the worthless slave. When your life is consumed by fear, you're worthless. I'm sorry. (laughs) But you're good for nothing. And I'm not saying that as a criticism. I'm just saying if your heart is filled with fear, you're not going to accomplish anything. Live your life in safety. See where that takes you. In Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4 and verse 40, and this is where Jesus was asleep in the boat. We've talked about this recently. What did he ask them? Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? How many times could Jesus ask us that question? In the marginal rendering of the New American Standard in Mark chapter 4 and verse 40, the word afraid could literally be translated cowardly. Why are you cowardly? Do you still have no faith? Well, the reason I point that out is because of the word that's used in Revelation chapter 21 cowardly and in the list of those who are going to be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone look at the first two designations in Revelation 21 and verse 8 but for the cowardly and unbelieving You can't separate fear from lack of faith. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? It's a lack of faith in the Word. It's excessive worldly concerns. And then it's being overcome with fear. Thoughts to ponder as we begin a new year. Let's go to God in prayer.